get started, today's teaching is something that we learned from a guy named Andy Stanley, one of my mentors from a distance. This is so significant to me. We want to present it to you as accurately as possible because this is very, very, very foundational to everything we do uh, in this life. And so hold on tight. This is a huge concept this morning it's a huge teaching. When you look at the world religions around us, you see some things that, that we have as well as Christians. The world religions have a holy book. Well, we have one of those too. They have uh, special writings. We have that. They have uh, prophets. Uh, we've had those. We have, they have teachers. We have those. They have calendar days that are very special and they celebrate. We have those too. But Christianity is distinct because we have a savior. There's no other world religion that has a figure like Jesus, like we do. Someone who comes to us and says, I am going to take upon myself the consequences of your sin. No other religion in the world has one of those. We are unique because of that. Now, if you are like most Americans, you believe that there's more than one way to get to God. And now here's an implication. If you believe that, here's an implication of that belief. You've probably never kind of thought of it from this perspective, but yet this is what you believe. If you believe that there's more than one way to get into heaven or to get to God, then that means you believe you don't need a savior. Because if there's another way to get to God, you don't have to use the Savior's way. Interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Here's something else that if you are like most Americans, you believe that maybe, maybe you believe that you're a good person who occasionally does bad things. Now, if you ever have to argue your case before God, you would say, God, I did pretty good. I wasn't too bad. I did the best that I could. And you might end it with something like this. After all, I'm only human. Now, today what we're talking about is a starting place. If you are thinking about becoming a Christ follower or if you are a Christ follower, this is where you started. It's a starting place that is not politically correct at all. This starting place can be very, very offensive. So I'm asking you to hang in there with me. Don't get up and run away. Don't run out. This is just a starting place. And here is the starting place. You're not a good person who occasionally does bad things. That's not what you are. In fact, the Bible says that you are a sinner. The Bible says that you are a bad person that occasionally does good things. That's what the Bible says. Now, we push back from that statement. We push back from that. Um, but I'm asking you this morning, don't give up on me. Don't, don't shut me out. Let me help build this case and see what the Bible has to say as we prove this point in just a moment. You see, if you are a good person that just occasionally does bad things, then here's what I would say to you. Then, then just be good. Just be good. If you, if you know, teenager, if you know your attitude gets you in trouble at home, then just stop that. Just be good. If you know that your mouth gets you in trouble, adult, then I would just say, just be good. Why don't you stop that? If you are mostly good, then just be good. Be consistently good. Stop doing the things that get you into trouble. 
If you know your lust at work gets you in trouble, if you know your lust when you get on the computer by yourself sends you straight to pornography sites, if you know that, then and if you're inherently good, then just stop. Just stop that and be good. If you are good, then be consistently good. Just be good. If you know that your temper gets you in trouble at work, if it puts you on thin ice with your bosses, then, well, just be good. And then we can say, great, problem solved. We can close in prayer and we are out of here. We're done. You know, a former president said, if we would just simply obey the Ten Commandments, if our nation would just simply obey the Ten Commandments, that we, <laughs> we could solve most of the problems in America. We could end substance abuse and we could end adultery. There would be no theft. There would be almost no social problems. They would vanish. And even people who don't believe in God could look at those Ten Commandments and say, you know what, I can see that if we would just do that, there would be a better America if we would just simply do that. If America were good, then I would say let's just be consistently good. And we would have a good America. And you might shake your head at that thought and say, well, maybe. Why, why would you shake your head, though? And here's the reason. Why don't we obey the Ten Commandments? Why don't we just do that alone and have a better America? And here's the answer. Because we're not good. That's why. I'm not either. We want to be good. Every single one of us who stood at the altar and said, I want to be the greatest husband who has ever lived. I want to be the best wife ever. I'm committed. I promise. I'm dedicated to you forever. And then now, years down the road, there are irreconcilable differences. And to that, we would say, well, why don't you just be good? If you are inherently good, just be good. And you would say, I can't. And God says, I know. You see, we don't like to admit this because it's not politically correct to say that we have a problem, to say that my problem runs very deep in you and it runs deep in me. We are sinners. And you're not a sinner because you sin. You are a sinner because at your core and at my core, we were born sinners. In fact, we sinned. We were sinners before we ever sinned. And that's why we can't just stop lusting and can't stop exploding with anger and can't stop talking about people and can't, can't get our priorities right and keep them right. There are just some things that we cannot stop, even though we have tried and tried and tried and tried. And the Bible calls that sin. We know it's wrong. In fact, if you're doing it, you, you don't want your husband to do that. And you don't want your wife to do that. You don't want your kids to do this. You know that it's wrong and you know it will end up hurting you and eventually hurting others around you. You know all of this and you do it anyway. You're driving toward that thing with everything you have and the pedal is all the way down. And if someone were to stop you and ask, well, hey, 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 why are you doing that? You would answer, I, I'm not sure. And they might say, well, don't you know that it's going to hurt you? And you would say, yes. 
They might ask, hasn't it hurt you in the past? You would say yes. Don't you know where this is leading? You would say yes. And you know that your family is going to get hurt too. I know. And you know you're going to regret this later, right? I probably will. Then why are you doing it? And the answer is because there is something in me that is so powerful, so strong, it drives me past common sense, right out of the safety of wisdom. It drives me right past what I know is right, and I just want to do it, and I just can't stop. And then you do it. And yes, you regret it. And after you do it, you say that you're sorry and you mean it. And then you go right back and do it again. You see, I can train my dog easier than I can train myself. You can too. You can train your dog to sit beside you in the freezing water and you can train him or her to go and get a duck and bring it right back to you, but only when you tell it to, you can train your dog to do all of that, and you can't train yourself to be good. Our dogs are better learners than we are. We are the scientifically advanced, the smart, the technical people, and we can control everything around us, but we cannot control ourselves. So I want to challenge you. If you are inherently a good person, then just be consistently good. But I can't. You can't either. We can't. Think for a moment. When something rises up within you, and you know that it's not good for you, and you know that it might hurt you and your family, and something is rising up telling you to do that anyway. What is that? I mean, it seems to get a hold of you and drag you toward the wrong thing every time. What is that that is dragging you? God says, I know. I know what it is. I, I created you. I know what went wrong because I was there when it happened, when it all went down. It is called sin. Sin. You see, we like to soften it. We like to call it a mistake. I just, I made a mistake. It's not a mistake. A mistake is when we add the columns in our checkbook wrong that's a mistake. Having an affair is not a mistake. That's a sin. I mean, cheating on your spouse, that is not a mistake. A mistake is when we misspell a word in our text message, but hooking up at 1 a.m. with your friends that you used to get high with, that's not a mistake. That's you running towards sin. That's not a mistake. A mistake is not, oh, I'm going to send her a text who is not my wife, and I'm going to tell her how much she understands me and my wife doesn't, and I'm going to tell her that I want to be with her, and someday we will be together. That's, that's not a mistake. That's a sin. A mistake is locking your keys in the car. A mistake is, is clipping the curb with your tire. That's that's a mistake. Not getting blasted at karaoke and going home for a one-night stand. That's not a mistake. That's a sin. 
You see, the problem is not self-control. That's not the problem. The problem is not that you don't know better. The problem is not that you're not committed enough. The problem is not that we don't want to admit it. The problem is we, me, and you, all of us were born sinners. And doing the wrong thing actually is natural for us. It's easy for us. If you don't believe me, just look at your kids. <laughs> Never have you had to say, oh, children, gather around. Now, I want to teach you how to kick your brother. Let me, let me, let me teach you how to disrespect your mom. Here are some things you can say. These are some facial expressions you can make. Here are some solid gestures. This will really get her. Okay, kids, sit down, sit down, sit down. We're going to talk about lying. Daddy, what's lying? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because we're going to go over it. It's going to really get you out of some jams. You see, it's difficult for us to admit that we have a fundamental problem from which we cannot save ourselves. But admitting this is the beginning of understanding what God has actually done for us. And it all starts with coming to grips with the reality we are born sinners. It is in us. And at times it controls us. And it is why there is no nation in the world and in all of history, not one single nation has ever been able to consistently uphold their laws because there's something inside of us that resists it every single day. So let's see how God states his case. We're going to be reading from what? The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 this morning, starting with verse 6. They'll have it on the screen for us. It says this, For while we were still helpless, in other words, we were helpless to save ourselves. While we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, that means at the very moment that God pre-selected in time, didn't happen too early, didn't happen too late, right when he said it would, Christ, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Harley, I, ungodly? I, I'm not ungodly. And I'd say, okay, okay, but you don't know what God is like. I don't either. I mean, God, God is perfect and holy and compared to God, the way God would think and the way God would do things. I don't do things the way God does things. I don't think the way God thinks. So compared to God, we're unholy. You might say, okay, compared to God, Okay, we're unholy. Verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. And Paul is saying this. There is something at your and my very core, our nature, that is part of us that makes us a sinner. Here's a key truth. Don't miss this. You're not a sinner because you sin. You're a sinner because it is in your very nature. It helps me to think of it this way. It is almost as if sin, this entity, this being of sin is almost as if it is part of my actual DNA in my physical body. That's what it seems like. Let's look at verse 10. 
For since our friendship was God, with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And you might say, enemy? Harley, Harley, enemy? I'm not an enemy of God. And, and listen, it, it's not because of what you have done. That's what we might think. We just like, I love God. I want to follow him. I want to pursue it. No, no, it's not because of what you have done. We're enemies of God because there is something in you and in me that makes you an enemy. Here's a key truth. Before you ever committed your first sin, it was already in you. Before you ever committed your first sin, sin was already in you. That is why we have laws and we have to have policemen. We could just have laws and say, okay, everybody obey the law. But it doesn't work that way because people don't obey the law, right? We have to have both policemen. If we were inherently good, why can't we just be consistently good? And God would say, because you're not inherently good. Because there is something in your and my very nature, something that is in us that compels us to do the wrong thing. You know, Paul didn't even know these people that he was writing this letter to. And he didn't know that we would be sitting here reading it 2,000 years later. He did not know. But yet, as he describes this, he described them perfectly, and he is describing us perfectly. Why can he do that? And he begins to explain why he knows all about them, even though he doesn't know them. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. That's what Paul says. Paul is saying, Adam, this historical figure, this real person before him, there was no sin. There was no death, no sin. Sin entered this world through Adam. He goes on, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Why did death spread to everyone? Because he answers it here, for everyone sinned. Now here's what Paul is saying. Once upon a time, there was this guy named Adam. Adam had an incredible relationship with God. It was perfect. But Adam chose to go against God. And something from that moment, something changed inside of Adam. And from that moment to now, it's still in us. If you are in the family tree of Adam, and hint, hint, we all are, it is in you too. And you didn't ask for it, but it is there. It is just in you. You see, the decision Adam made corrupted all of us. You weren't there when Adam made that choice. I wasn't either. But yet, even though we were not there physically, because we are part of Adam's family tree, that corruption that entered him is now passed on all the way to us, birth by birth by birth by birth. And you say, Harley, that's, that's not fair. That is just not fair. And maybe it's not fair but it's true. 
I was looking online this week. Have you ever seen a newborn baby who is addicted to opiates? Uh, the mother used drugs, opiate drugs, while she was pregnant. And the baby is born addicted to that same drug. And the baby just lies there shaking uncontrollably, sometimes for weeks, crying without an end, unstoppable tremors. And you would look at that and you would say, that is unfair. Those babies have to go through that by no choice of their own. But they go through it because they were in their mother. She brought it on. It is unimaginable. It is not fair. And we would all say, that's not fair. That is totally, totally unfair, but still totally true. Because they were in their mother's womb. And as the mother went, so went the child. And God says to you and me, you and I, we are in Adam. And the sin that entered into him has been passed down through every single one of his descendants. Paul goes on to explain more in verse 13. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. He's saying even the people that did not know the law, before God gave the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, those people before that, they still sinned. There was still sin in them. Why? Because they were all related to who? Adam. And Paul goes on, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet a law to break. Paul continues, verse 14, still, he said, so even though it wasn't counted as sin, he says, but still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey any explicit command because they didn't know it, right? Any explicit command of God, they still died as Adam did. So let me help you unpack this, because this is theologically huge, this statement. The reason we all know that every single one of us have sinned, and all of those people in history sinned, even if they did not know the law, we know that they sinned, because there is a change in our physical and our spiritual lives involving sin, and here's the change, we are all dying. You see, God created life. Death was not part of God's plan. It wasn't part of his creation. But with sin comes death. And if anyone thinks they're not a sinner, they just need to look at the mirror because they're going to see they are deteriorating. They are falling apart. They are headed towards death because where there is sin, there is death always. Even the person, Paul is saying, even the person that does not know God's law, guess what? They're still dying. Even the person that had no idea of what right and wrong is, guess what? They are still dying. The fact that death is part of our lives today, this moment is proof that something is wrong because God gave us life. He did not create death. That is a result of sin. But there's more proof. And that is that there's something inside of us 
that compels us to do something that we know is going to hurt us and we do it knowing it's going to hurt other people. We can call it a habit. We can call it an addiction. And you have spent money to go to counseling to stop this. You have been in groups to stop this. And yet we deal with it again and again and again. And what is that? And God says, I know what it is. I know it is sin because you were born in Adam. And you look at me and you say, Harley, thanks a lot. I am so glad I came and got up on this Labor Day weekend to be so cheered up by you. Way to go, sunshine. Well, the Bible also tells us this. When you become a Christ follower, something takes place, a change, an actual change in your very nature, in your very soul, and you are placed, you were in Adam, and you are now placed, the Bible says, in Jesus. You are adopted into his family tree. You see, you were born in Adam. That's where you got the sin inserted into your life. And if you become a Christ follower, you are spiritually placed in the hands of Jesus. And the power that sin had over you when you were in Adam does not have power over you anymore. Why would that be? Because there is no sin ever in all of history and never will be that has ever, no sin has ever had power over Jesus and you are in Jesus Sin's power to get to you would have to go through Jesus first to get power over you. And sin cannot get through Jesus. Wow. You see, Jesus not only defeated sin's power over your eternity. Because your sin separated you from God. And now Jesus fixed that. But now... In Jesus, your sin does not have power over your moment-by-moment -moment daily life any longer because Jesus broke that as well. In Adam, you were facing death and an eternal separation from God. In Adam, you were a slave to everyday life sin. But now if you're in Christ, he defeated death. So you don't have to worry about your eternity in Christ. And he also defeated the power of sin in your life right now at this moment. But you say, Harley, well, that sounds really good. It sounds great. But if that's the case, I must not be saved at all because sin is very alive still in me. I mean, I've prayed the prayer. I read the verses. You ask me to memorize one. I try to. I've, I, I sing the songs. And I mean them, but the chains are not broken here. And I would just simply say, hang tight. Hang tight. This week is just the introduction. We're just getting started. We're going to be breaking down this whole series and breaking down this whole topic throughout this series over the next few weeks. Today is just simply a starting place. 
And that starting place is where you and I accept and understand that this is true. With Adam's sin, something happened inside of him, inside of him, and it has been passed on to every single one of his descendants since time began. Paul continues, and now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. Paul says, God already knew at creation that Adam was going to mess up. Before he even created Adam, he knew how this was going to go down. And Jesus was ready to pull the trigger on his saving plan before it ever happened. That's what he's saying. Verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. This gift he's talking about of salvation. Paul goes on, for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to the many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ, is what he's saying. He's saying there's a big difference between Adam and between Jesus. Adam was the first man and he blew it for everybody. So God himself puts on the skin of man and the flesh of man And he walks on this earth for a purpose to fix everyone who will choose to follow him. And he will fix what Adam messed up. And if this one created man, Adam, can blow it for everybody, then how much more can God himself fix it for everyone by becoming a man? Verse 16, Paul says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even if we're guilty of many sins. Verse 17, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but the even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it and live. He's saying this. Right now, in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, in the here and now, moment by moment, right now, he says this, living in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. This one man's sin, Adam, made us a slave to sin. That is, I know I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyway. And I know what I should do, but I don't do it. That's, that's being a slave to sin. For the whole human race, this one act of this one guy, Adam, ruined it for everybody. And that is why in the United States right now, every week we read in the papers and all over Facebook, there is chaos in the United States. That's why. There's chaos in every nation throughout the whole world, and there always will be in this scenario, this side of heaven. Why? Because of this. There is sin in every one of us. And if one man had that much power to ruin it for the whole human race, then how much? And that was just a man then how much more power, what kind of a difference would it make if God himself acted on behalf of all men? Then what Adam messed up, God himself, Jesus, fixed up. Since Adam, sin was in us. You see, God can't have sin in heaven. God can't be in a relationship with sin. So Jesus 
He took care of the sin problem for us. He took our penalty by dying on the cross, and that one act took care of the eternal penalty of sin. And it also took care of the daily power of sin inside of us. And because of that, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't have to say yes to sin. If we are in Christ, if we are a Christ follower, we don't have to say yes to sin. Here's the truth. I don't care what experience you have had in the past. I don't care what the addiction has been, what habit has consumed you. Here is the truth. If you're a Christ follower today, you are not a slave to sin. Sin has no power over you because you are in Christ. And you say, but Harley, I hear what you're saying. I want to believe what you're saying, but I don't feel free. And I would say to you, hang tight. Hang tight. We're going to talk about that through this series. You would say, Harley, but my past, my habits. I would say, hang on. We're going to talk about that through this series. But the starting place is this. I'm not a good person who occasionally does bad. I don't just need to try harder and do better, make a better promise, a better commitment. That's not what it is. No, I am at my very core, in my very nature, I am a sinner who needs to be set free. That's why I need a savior. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I'm a sinner because sin is actually in me. Evil. Here's another way to look at it. Evil is actually in me from birth. Now, when I became a Christ follower, all of that changed. And the question we're going to be facing with this series over the next three weeks is this. If Christ is in me, how do I make that a reality in my life? Because I still feel trapped, enslaved by sin. And it all begins with this simple truth. I have been taken out of Adam. And I've been placed in Christ. You know, Jesus even said it himself in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't we know it? Because we have lived there long enough, have we not? And Jesus said, but I have come that they may have, have and enjoy life and have it to abundance, to the full, till it overflows. Jesus said he wants to give you life. Whose life does he give you? I mean, whose life? He gives you his life. And his life, if you are in his life, sin is not the master anymore. It's all about this. Jesus in you. And we're going to teach you about that over the next few weeks in this series. Jesus in you. Now, here's our prayer. Here's our hope that over the course of this series, and as you memorize some of the verses we suggest over the next three weeks, 
that you will bring the meaning of those verses deep down into your life. And as you talk about those verses with your family and friends, and as you talk about what we're teaching with your family and friends, that maybe, just maybe, some of you, many of you, we hope, will take a deep breath and you will realize that this life is about Christ in you. It is not about you trying to do better. It's not about you working at it more, trying to be good. No, 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 we're terrible at that. And in fact, it's impossible for us. It's about learning to allow Jesus Christ to live in and through you. And it begins right here declaring sin. You are no longer my master. Depression, you are no longer master over me. Lust, you are not my master. Food, anger, sex, that person or that person, you are not my master. Meth or pain pills or alcohol, you are not my master. Whatever it is that has had control over your life, it is looking at that thing and learning to say, you are not my master and learning to allow Jesus to live in you and through you because in him you are free. You're not in Adam anymore. And you have to get to the point in life where you just simply throw up your hands and you say, I can't do this. I can't figure this out on my own anymore. I, I need Jesus to do what he does and allow him to live through you. And we're going to lead you down that path. And here's simply what we ask this week. If you're new to Stuttgart Harvest Church, will you just simply do this? Wrestle with this question. Am I a sinner by nature? Or am I really a good person by nature? Will you wrestle with that this week? Now, maybe you have already wrestled with that and you've come and you're a Christ follower and you would say, I, I've got the answer for that for me. Oh, yeah, I know. I am a sinner. No doubt. I've got that one down. Then here's my challenge for you. Will you take one of these verses that we've read out of chapter five of Romans? Well, just take one. Pick one. Pick one that's meaningful. Don't just look for the shortest. Will you pick a meaningful verse out of Romans chapter 5 and will you memorize it? Think deeply about those words. Let them sink into your heart. And will you pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I believe you set me free and I want to live in that freedom. I want to experience that freedom. I want to know, I want to know what it means for Jesus to live his life through me. And if you pray that, I believe that God will answer your prayer. Let's pray. God, you told us that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And God, don't we know it because we have lived that life far too long. But Jesus, you said that you came that we might have and enjoy life and have it to uh, an abundance, to the full, till it overflows. But God, we have inherited a life that is broken. And we have lived a broken life for years. But God, you don't want to leave us there. God, you give us life. 
You give us your life, a life full, a life that overflows with you and your love and your power. God, thank you for rescuing us from the thief. God, thank you for rescuing us from ourselves. In the name of Jesus, the Savior I needed, the Savior you sent, it is in his name we pray. Amen.